Hello, welcome to another episode of Wondering Wednesday, a podcast devoted to answering your questions about homeschooling, parenting, teaching, home management, language arts, and more. I'm Donna Reesh, and I'm here from Character, Inc. and Raising Kids with Character today to answer your question about rebellion. We have questions whenever we exit something like we just did in October uh, 2015. The podcast episodes were a lot about tweens. They were a lot about, um, which could also be applied to earlier ages and later ages, but they were a lot about um, the four D's of behavior and then handling heart behaviors such as disobedience, disrespect, fighting with sib- among siblings, and um, character training in routine behaviors and the differences between those and the four D's of behaviors. And then lastly, we had uh, staying close or keeping your kids close or getting close to your kids during intense training times. So following that, we often get questions about teens, uh, how does some of this apply to teens, which uh, most of that did apply to teens for sure. But um, whenever we get asked questions about teens, about relationships with teens, about you know, keeping teens on your side, you know, so that they're not rebelling um, against your family standards and against your um, ideals and what you um, want for them out of the, you know, the whole reason that you're raising them, how you're raising them. And um, so when we get those questions, we like to go back to our recipe for rebellion. And um, you can check out the store because there will also be some uh Recipe for Rebellion posters available there at Character Inc. store as well as at um, Kerclick. Um, so anyway, uh, I want to move into the four um, recipe ingredients for rebellion. And these are the things that we have pinpointed through the years in raising uh, seven children, ages 17 through almost 33. Things that we have pinpointed uh, that have led them to rebel against something that we want for them or rebel against something in our family, things that we either observed in others or things that maybe we experienced ourselves uh, to a small extent and then, you know, we're able to correct that. Uh, We have a lot of experience in teenagers, you know, having seven children in those ages and a lot of experience in doing things wrong too. So, um, you know, if there's one thing that is to be said for older women teaching younger women, uh, it is definitely that you can learn from our mistakes and you can learn, you know, the things that didn't work for us or things that we wish we had done differently and so forth. Um, when it comes to recipe for rebellion, um, we had so much great teaching, uh, early on in our parenting that, um, even though we did make a lot of mistakes with our first two, our son, Joshua and our daughter, Kayla, uh, we also, they also forgave us so much and gave us so much grace and um, so we were still able to maintain just outstanding relationships with them and not to have uh, to suffer through, you know, years of rebellion or them turning away from the family or turning away from the Lord. So we're very thankful for that. And you'll see how that comes to play when we talk about these ingredients for recipe for rebellion. There are four main ingredients that we have found that lead to uh, rebellion in teenagers. Uh, The first one is rules without reasons. The second one is rules without response. Third, rules without repetition. And fourth, rules without relationship. So I'd like to take each of these um, 
ingredients for this recipe and go through it and explain a little bit more about it and how it takes place and how you can avoid that part of the recipe so that you do not end up uh, with a full bowl of Rebellion made with this recipe. Um, The first one is rules without reasons. Generally speaking, you need to replace this part of the recipe, this rules without reasons, you need to replace it with explanations, teaching, and instructions that will stay with your children for a lifetime. Let me talk a little bit about telling children why, because this is very linked with this. Rules without reasons simply means that you constantly make rules, you constantly give rules, you constantly give standards or um, uh, instruction, uh, different uh, guidelines and benchmarks that you want followed in your home without giving your children the reason why. And we have some reasons here why it's so important to give the reason why and how you can avoid this. First of all, the first reason that we should give our children the reason why is because it is how God deals with us. Uh, the Bible is a gold mine of reasons and explanations to us about what he wants us to do and how he wants, what he wants us to do and how he wants us to do it. Uh, he's tender, long-suffering, and patient with us. He does demand our obedience, but he doesn't say, because I told you so, but he explains it. Help us grow in our faith to keep weaker brethren from stumbling, to show that we love him, to be a light to the world. He gives us the reasons why we should obey him and gives us the reasons why behind the things that he's asking us to do. One explanation after another, multiple cause and effect scenarios are presented in the Bible and in how God deals with us. Next, it does not help our children own the lifestyle choices and rules that we are making when we do not give the reasons why. You cannot own something that you do not understand. When we tell our children to live this way or that way because we are the parents and and you just should do it because we say so and we demand it, uh, we are not helping them to develop their own belief system in the future. In essence, we're not giving them any learning hooks. We talk about this a lot at the blog. I talk about this a lot with younger children especially, that we have this uh, rack of hooks. Our children have these racks of hooks, and they have those little clippies on the bottom, and they can just keep on hanging things on and just hang, hang, hang until they have this whole long line of learning hooks all hooked together. And every time they learn something new in a certain area, they can hook it onto something they already know. This is one reason why in teaching in general, it's so important to always relate whatever you're teaching to something that the student already knows. And this is a reason why I start nearly every new lesson with, what do you already know about this? My students get so tired of me saying that, but they are always you know, very joyfully surprised at what they do know. And then they know why I keep saying that all the time. I want them to tell me what they already know about this because then we can build on from that. And I also want them to tell me what they already know because I want them to realize that they do already know a lot. And I want them to see how you can link, go from what you already know to what you don't know quite seamlessly when you dig into what you already do know. And so in teaching, in general, any kind of skills or academics, that uh, the way to go is to have those learning hooks, to have those things that they already know and build upon them. The same is true of 
our guidelines, our rules, our lifestyle choices for our children, our convictions in our home. Um, when we tell them to live this way or that, we are not helping them to develop their own belief system in the future. We're just giving them a list of things to do, and they either have to do it or they can choose not to. But they don't really have anything that they can take with them in the future to make their own decisions, to come back to what they already know. And so it's really important that we give them uh, the why behind what we're doing so that they can internalize that and it can become their own. Next, when we do not give the reasons why, it is aggravating for the child. Ephesians 6.4 says, and you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. We talk about this a lot and how, you know, we got we have to be careful not to provoke our children to wrath, you know, not to exasperate them as one of the versions uh, of the Bible says. But one of the ways that we really, really aggravate or exasperate our children is by not giving them the reason why. Um, it's, we know as adults how exasperating it is to work for someone who makes demands of us but does not give explanations. And our children feel the same way uh, when we do that. Um, so we want to be sure not to aggravate our children by giving them the reasons why. Now, is, there, is it true that our children should obey us even if they don't have the reasons why? Yes, that is true. We're not giving them the reasons why to talk them into obeying us. We're giving them the reasons why, because we're good parents, because we don't want to aggravate them, because we know that it works, because that's what God does to us. We're giving them the reason why, because we want them to take it on to the next situation they find themselves into and be able to own that, to be able to internalize it and have it as their, as their own benchmarks and their own convictions, not just something that we made them do. Okay, the next recipe ingredient for rebellion is rules without response. And this is that of developing rules without ever letting our children question those rules, without ever letting them respond to our instruction. We see very authoritarian parents who say, you know, they make the command, they make the statement, whatever it might be, and then they say, and I don't want to hear a word about it. And I understand how we feel that way, and we did feel that way different times. And so it's not, it's not uncommon to feel that way. And it isn't even uncommon to sometimes need to just say, this is how it is, we're moving on. And that there's a place for that because we are, after all, the parents. But um, not letting them respond to us doesn't give them a chance to open that dialogue and to really start to understand our reasoning also. This is a common ingredient in very rules-oriented family. Uh, we don't ever want to listen to our children if they d disagree with us and so forth. It's also a common uh, problem in families in which children are rebelling a lot because we just want to shut them up and we just want them to not question us, so we just never let them. There are several uh, problems with this uh, recipe ingredient, uh, that is not letting them respond. The first one is that just like uh, not having any reasons for our rules, not allowing them to respond is aggravating. 
Uh, again, uh, another version of that same verse we just talked about is in Colossians 3.21. Fathers, don't aggravate your children. If they do, they will. If you do, they will become discouraged and quit trying. We have all seen where children are just giving up. They're, they can't please us, so they're just not going to try. By not allowing them to respond to us, we aggravate them and they just stop trying. Um, we like it as adults to be able to voice our opinions and our children feel the same way. Perhaps even more so and perhaps they even feel more helpless because they are, of course, children. Next, just like no reasons for our rules are um, not giving our reasons, not allowing them to respond also handicaps them in their future, uh, in their future decision making and in whatever situation they might find themselves into next. They need to know the process that a Christian Christian goes through to determine how to live and act. If we constantly just say, this is the way it is, don't ask. This is the way it is, don't ask. I don't want to talk about it. You don't need to know. You know, no response allowed. Then we handicap their future decision-making and their ability to be able to see how the Christian life works. The no response rule is, of course, just like no reasons, the no reason rule. It is not how God treats us. And so we can see how that played out in the no reasons. We don't give any reasons. The same thing is true when we don't allow our children to respond to us at all. Just uh, think about how God parented. When you think about Old Testament characters um, with David, we can see how painfully honest David was in the Psalms. God, why are you doing this to me? Why don't you listen to me? Why do you let my enemies overtake me? I want to follow your way, but it is so hard. Okay, God, I will trust in you, not in chariots, not in horses. He allows us, God allows us or allowed David to respond to what he was doing in his life. Same thing is true with Abraham. Will you destroy the city if there are some godly people still there? He not only responded to God's edict, but he actually gave God a suggestion on how to change it. And God listened to that. I'm going to be talking a little bit more about how to actually implement this in a very respectful, uh, appropriate way. Because while he, God did let Abraham make a suggestion and he changed his mind, Abraham was not characterized by constant argumenting, argument, arguing. He was not characterized by constantly rebelling against God and by, you know, turning his back on God. So there's definitely a protocol, and we'll talk about that in just a second. This, uh, another reason why we sh the no response allowed rule uh, is a recipe for rebellion is because it causes our children to argue with us. What we don't understand is that when we don't dialogue with our children, about these things, all we really do is cause them to be argumentative. So we're not letting them respond. They try to respond. We start arguing with them. Don't respond. I don't want to talk about it. You're not allowed to question me, da, 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 da. And, um, and so it causes them to actually argue with us. So yes, our children should obey without the rules given to them. And yes, our children should respect us when we say, let's not talk about it. Let's just do it. But do we really want to leave them in those two ways? Do we really want to not give them reasoning that they can use reasoning that they can use to develop their own worldview and their own life choices? And do we really want to give them, um, to allow them not to question so that 
in other scenarios later on when they're married that they don't feel like they can talk with each other about problems and about difficulties. Um, so no, we don't. And so, uh, we actually used a, um, communication technique that came in handy with our children when it came to allowing them to respond to us. And it is called the godly appeal. Um, I do want to say that if you just listen to our October, uh, some of our October teaching about, um, tweens, one of the techniques for handling disobedience is to institute the no response rule. So it's just the opposite of this one. And so in that regard, that is for a child who consistently disagrees with everything you say. And so you set up a no response rule time in which he can't question, he can't say anything for a day or however long you set it in order for him to realize, oh, I disrespect mom and dad. I disagree a lot. I question a lot. And so, you know, that is completely different than this because this godly appeal is actually just the opposite of that. It is because your children or your child um, is responding properly. And so we, when, when children respond properly and when they are respectful, we should always have open dialogue. There shouldn't be any problems with letting your, um, your child talk to you about things if they disagree with something or if they have a question. But when we don't let them respond, then we end up with arguing, bickering, begging, and this back and forth uh, uh, um, disagreement that comes. So instead... We can use the godly appeal to keep our children from arguing with us and to let them have the opportunity to ask questions. And so in this scenario, and like I said, this is not for children who disagree with everything. Because what will happen is if you use this with a child who disagrees with everything all the time, then, and he uses this, all he's doing is trading his arguing in for a nice opening to an argument. So instead of just starting to argue right away, which he always did previously, now he's going to say something uh, respectful, like, may I appeal, and then start arguing. So that is a lot like, and this happens all the time with children who are taught, or not all the time, but oftentimes with children who are taught to say, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, all the time. And they can appear appear to be very, very respectful and very um, compliant um, but we can be fooled by the fact that they say, yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am, and, and they, they speak so respectfully, but maybe they're not respectful at all. The same thing will happen if you let a child who is not, who wants to argue, or who always argues, who always disagrees, if you let him use the appeal, because all he's doing is dressing up his argument. So you want to really be careful about that. The, um, the may I appeal is again used for children who are characterized by obeying and who have earned the right to dialogue with you in great detail about things. Um, there are some guidelines for it. And um, so, first of all, the child has to use a certain wording. Now, we use the words, may I appeal? Um, and then the answer was either yes, no, or um, later. Uh, and then the child must accept the answer. So, you know, if your child is characterized by agreeing and by not fighting and so forth, then when you let them to let them appeal, when you, they say, may I appeal? And you say, no, not now. They know because of the kind of parent you are 
that it's just not going to work this time. Not that you're shutting them down. And so if you, if you use this properly, it actually becomes a way that your children can see how, um, how much you love them and how much you care about their opinion. Um, so at that point, they have to accept the answer. They can't argue, beg, etc. And um, this can be used one-on-one or with siblings around, uh, whatever. If the answer is yes, then the appeal is heard and considered by the parents. And, um, and then the parents can you know, reconsider whatever it is they said and see whether it is something that can be changed uh, easily or that uh, you can you know take another route with if the answer is no the matter is dropped um, though you can actually let him bring it up later if he has more information or when the time is more appropriate or whatever um, if the answer is later then you the child may bring it up at a more convenient time or whatever so sometimes with that you can say you know not tonight but tomorrow after dinner you can appeal while everybody else is cleaning up you and I can talk about it again you know so you're you're not you're not shutting him down you're just giving him another time so here are some guidelines for the appeal process if it is disrespectful or done in anger it's immediately turned down no and don't let him you know, like change and then be respectful and then try to do it. The answer is no right now. And the next time he will be respectful when he does it. If the appeal is a series of whines and complaints rather than a truly godly appeal, then it is turned down. Now, we, we said, may I appeal? But you, can, you, can, you don't have to use those words at all. If, you, if that's too formal, and, and, and I feel like that's very formal now just because after having raised so many teenagers and the relationships I have with them now, that feels very formal to me. Um, but you could have any kind of wording. The key is you have to have special wording. So it either has to be, may I appeal, or um, may we, can we talk about this, or um, can we discuss this, whatever. It has to be certain wording that's always used. That way you're turning the conversation um, back to the subject at hand without an argument. If a child begins disagreeing a lot or constantly trying to appeal, the appeal process is terminated for a period of time until the child learns to accept mom and dad's rules more often, uh, more often than not. With this, um, again, a child who's constantly arguing with you is not a candidate for the appeal process. He needs to learn to obey and be respectful before he's allowed to constantly try to change everything you're going to say. And especially if he's always asking for everything to be changed now. Um, so anyway, if the appeal process becomes an argument, it's ended. If the person appealing is turned down but later has more information, he may reappeal that topic. So can can we talk about that again? You know, and then you and again, you just want your children to be able to come to you all the time. Um number six, the appeal is truly listened to and thought through by mom and dad. Do not pretend to listen to appeals, but not regard their pleas. This is another recipe for rebellion in itself. The kids will know if the, re- if the appeal process is just a formality, but you're not even listening. Seven, the person appealing is not constantly interrupted by mom and dad with justifications. The child should not be patronized during an appeal, but carefully listened to and respected. So just let him say his piece, especially if you've taught him to do it correctly. Once the answer to the appeal is given, the matter must be dropped for the time being. And number nine, parents must agree on the answer to the appeal at that time. So this is something that you know you need to agree at that time, and then you can talk about it behind closed doors, maybe change something later, but you don't want to um, have an argument 
together with, with mom and dad. Um, we actually had some interesting discussions with our older kids about these, about some of these things. I like to talk to them about things and actually sometimes I like to apologize, um, for things, you know, that's like, oh, now that, you know, we're on our last child who's 17, I know how we did it when you were 17 and I'm really sorry, (laughs) you know, um, but one of the things that our grown son, uh, who's married and is uh, 32 now, said a few years back um, was that he didn't mind our rules. He didn't mind that we were strict. He didn't mind that we even had crazy notions and ideas and rules sometimes. Uh, even if he didn't agree with them, he didn't mind them. According to him, the reason he did what we wanted him to do is that we always listen to him. We always, always listen to him. He said, you might not have changed anything. You might not have given me what, the, what I wanted, but you always gave me intellectual freedom. You always gave me the freedom to think, the freedom to question. And, you know, that alone, just hearing our son talk about that, just makes the appeal process and this whole dialogue and this whole communication even more important. Okay, our third ingredient in the recipe for rebellion is rules without repetition. This ingredient deals with inconsistency in applying rules. It would probably be more aptly called rules without consistency, but then that wouldn't fit very well into our alliterative recipe for rebellion, would it? So anyway, this points to the times that our children comment, well, the last time you let me, or, you know, why did you say yes before, or... You know, last month we did this, and now we're doing this. Um, It means that once we make something a rule, it means it needs to stay the rule unless we change the rule entirely permanently, not just change back and forth and, and be inconsistent. Inconsistency harms our children in many ways. First of all, it hinders them and us. Um, inconsistency actually hinders a Christian in every area of life, testimonies, relationships, interactions with others, decisions, morals, everything. We must have some semblance of consistency in order to be accepted by others, in order um, for others to believe us and to, you know, agree with what we're saying. Um, Also, it will provoke our children to wrath almost quicker than anything else. I can remember when our girls were teenagers and they had different friends on the debate team and stuff, and, and they were just constantly, you know, they're friends were just constantly complaining about how, you know, the, you know, we're not allowed to date, we're allowed to date, we're allowed to ride in, you know, in vehicles with other people, we're not allowed to ride in vehicles with other people, and so forth. Um, it just is, it's very difficult for children to, teenagers especially, to, to adhere to our morals or our standards when they change all the time. Inconsistency creates a poor testimony. Uh, We know this is true by people who say, um, you know, that, uh, you know, I would never go to church because there are hypocrites there and so forth. Now, there are always going to be people who say those kind of things, but at the same time, you know, our inconsistency can really, really bring that on us ourselves. So we want to be sure that we are consistent, that our rules are consistent and, uh, that our children know what is expected all the time. Okay, our fourth and final ingredient in the recipe for rebellion is rules without relationship. 
This is actually the most important recipe ingredient to get rid of. That is, we do not want to make rules without having relationships with our children. Relationship must be in place in order to keep our children from rebelling up from us. Uh, and rebelling uh, and turning away from us. You know, um, love does cover a multitude of parenting problems. And, you know, I, I think that loving our children well and, you know, apologizing to them and being vulnerable to them and, and telling them that we really don't, we really do want to parent well, I think that goes a long way. However, we can really chisel away the relationship that we have um, with our children, even if the previous three ingredients are not there, even though, even if we do give reasons, even if we do allow a dialogue and, and um, appeals, even if we are consistent, we can just chisel away any relationship we have um, in our with our children. And so we want to be sure that we have a strong relationship in place to begin with, that we've secured their hearts, that we uh, don't cause them to take back little pieces of their hearts, you know, a little bit at a time because we don't have logical rules, because we don't listen to them, because we don't have consistency. And having a relationship with them is just one of the strongest things that we can do to counteract rebellion. Um, you know, it's it feels like, or it felt like to us, our children were more accepting of our mistakes. They were more mis- accepting of um, the times that we did do the wrong things and, and the recipe for rebellion. Uh, when we they knew that we were close, that we had a strong relationship with them. Um, you know, sometimes I look back on the time when our three oldest children began entering their teen years, and sometimes it feels like it was a miracle that we were able to keep them so close. And I know that there were some key things during that time, you know, that de- that definitely helped. But the bottom line was love. More than anything, love ruled our home. We might have had some wacko rules, and we might not have that logical basis for many of them. We might have made things stricter than they needed to be. We might have taken away a lot of things that other kids got to do or got to have. Um, they certainly didn't have a lot of things um, by, you know, any stretch. They didn't have, you know, vehicles and iPads and and iPods and um, just, they just didn't. They had learning tools and good toys, but they didn't have those. They didn't have a lot of things. But we always loved our children unselfishly. And we loved them enough to do whatever it took to stay close to them. And, you know, they knew that. You know, they knew that that we had that kind of love for them. And Paul talks about this in Philemon. And I think it's so um, poignant to this discussion because we can actually make a lot of mistakes in the first three areas of the recipe for rebellion. Um if we are always, always loving well. Um, Paul said that he could have forced them to do what he wanted them to do, which is how some parents handle things. But instead, he wanted them, he wanted to love them into doing what he asked. Uh, in Philemon 1, 8 and 9 said, Although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. When we appeal to our children on the basis of love, 
even if we don't have it all figured out yet. Their response is completely different than if we appeal to them with unlimited, tyrannical authority. So thank you so much for joining us today. I hope that this recipe for rebellion will help you keep these things in the forefront of your mind and keep those relationships with your tweens and teens and young adults very strong. Um, Check out our recipe for rebellion posters um, at our store. Sign up for our blog or our newsletter and you'll receive them eventually as a Friday freebie. I have some resources at the bottom, our book, The Well-Trained Heart, as well as Dr. Kevin Lehman's book, Making Children Mind Without Losing Yours, um, where he talks a lot about uh, giving our children the reasons and so forth. So thank you so much for joining us for another Wondering Wednesday podcast episode. Please join us at Character Inc. store, Raising Kids with Character, and Character Inc. blog. Thank you.